Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather here as your church family and just read your word, God. And we pray that you would make these more than words to us, that you would plant your truth in our hearts, that you would make us aware of your work in our lives and call us to follow you more closely today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we've been in the middle of a a, a series with uh, Paul and Jesse and myself preaching through the stories of Elijah and Elisha. And today we're actually going to be in in two places. We're going to start off in 1 Kings 19. And so that's the spot you're going to want to uh, find first. We're going to be in 1 Kings 19, the very end of that chapter, with the calling of Elisha. And then we're actually going to jump ahead all the way to 2 Kings 2 when we see that calling come to fruition. Um, and today what we're focusing on is this idea of transition and following God, being obedient to God in the middle of giant changes around us. And so if you read with me, I'm going to read from, from chapter 19 in 1 Kings, starting in verse 19. And this is what we see here. This is the call of Elisha. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shephat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. And then we're going to jump over to 2 Kings 2. So if you'd make that jump over with me. Uh, 2 Kings 2, starting in verse 1. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet, if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire uh, and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. 
And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. The company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Look, they said, we, your servants, have 50 able men. Let them go and look for your master. Perhaps the spirit of the Lord has picked him up and set him down on some mountain or in some valley. No, Elisha replied, do not send them. But they persisted until he was too embarrassed to refuse. So he said, send them. And they sent 50 men who searched for three days but did not find him. When they were returned to Elisha, he, uh, who was staying in Jericho, he said to them, didn't I tell you not to go? And that's our passage today. And it's one that as I was reading through this week and, and getting prepared to, to preach it, I got to be honest with you, I, I, I made this comment to a few people. I had a lot of questions on how we could make this passage impactful for us in a practical way. I mean, hopefully those of us in this room are not waiting to be carried away in a whirlwind with flaming horses and a flaming chariot there. And so what does this story mean to us? But it's that idea of transition and following God in the middle of changes in our lives where I think this really impacts us as people. You see, this moment in the history of Israel is significant. It's, it's the moving of one lead prophet to another. Somebody else is taking up the job and, and leading Israel in their worship and obedience to God, calling the Israelites back to, to the Lord. And I think in this room, there's many of us who have been in that place, maybe are in that place right now, where life is just changing all around you, where we're going through large transitions. You know, maybe at work, we're moving into different roles or we're switching careers, Maybe at home, just life is changing for whatever reason. Things are, are, are going in a different direction. Things are upset at home. Maybe things are changing in good ways, but it's still the sense of unrest. I know there's a, a number of university students here now trying to think through, what do I do when school is, is done? Life is, is full of all kinds of things where we're going to go through significant changes. And I'm sure in your life, you can figure out your own. And so today, really, what we're talking about here, what we want to know is, how do we follow God in the midst of these changes? How do we stay true to the Lord in all of this different things happening? And as a church, this is significant to us too. As we're moving on from Dwayne to someone else, how do we as a church move on from one lead pastor to a next? How do we stay faithful? How do we do that as people individually? And as we read through this passage, I think this is what God is showing us here. How do we follow God when everything around us is changing? And the first thing we see here, the first lesson that we have is we have to burn our yokes. We must burn our yokes. You see, we're picking up right here with Elijah leaving the mountain after he's had this encounter with God and, and God has, has instructed him on what to do next. He's going to go anoint the kings and anoint the next prophet, right? He's going to go anoint Elisha. 
God's told them there's 7,000 others who have not started worshiping Baal, and they're going to come together, and we're going to move forward. And so Elisha, Elijah, this is going to happen a lot today, Elijah leaves the mountain, and the first thing he does is he goes and finds Elisha. And Elisha is out there on his field, and it tells us there are 12 yoke of oxen plowing that field. And Elisha himself is, is working that last yoke. Now, that is in there for a reason. We don't get numbers just for no reason in Scripture. I think this is to, to show us something. There's, there's 12 yoke of oxen. There's 24 oxen. What we see here is Elisha is a rich boy. Elisha comes from a lot of money. To have 12 oxen, 12 pairs of oxen is significant. Elisha is living a life of comfort, a life of ease. He comes from wealth, and he has a good thing going at home. And here he is working his field, enjoying his life. And Elijah comes up to him and just throws the cloak on him and leaves. Doesn't say anything, right? Just takes this fur coat, throws it on him, and leaves. It's one of the most cryptic moves that we see from a prophet in all of Scripture. Yet somehow Elisha knows exactly what is going on here. Because he, he stops what he's doing... And he chases, over, uh, he chases after Elijah. And what he says to Elijah is, just let me go back and kiss my family goodbye. And then I'll come and follow you. And then I, I love this response that he gets. The, the response from Elijah, which is, go back. What have I done to you? What business is of, of this is mine? But I think Elijah is trying to make something clear here. This is not Elijah's plan. This is God's plan. Elijah is basically saying to Elisha, listen, this is between you and God. You do what you got to do, and then you come and you follow after us. Right? Elisha here receives this mantle, and he's willing to leave behind everything that he has to follow after Elijah to be his servant and eventually take over as the lead prophet of Israel. And if you've been tracking with us for the last few uh, weeks where we've talked through this story of Elijah, you'd realize that being a prophet right now is not necessarily a safe business in Israel. Elijah has been chased and pursued. People are trying to kill him. There's a king and queen who want him dead. Most of Israel is actually abandoning Yahweh and worshiping some fake god. Elisha's not being invited into an easy job here. He's not being invited into a glorious job here. But what's very clear and what Elisha picks up on is he's being invited into God's plan. He's being invited to be a part of what God is doing. And Elijah makes this very clear where he says, I haven't done this. This is not, don't ask me for permission. This is not my plan. This is about God and God restoring his people, and he's invited you to be a part of it. And so Elisha goes back. He, he kisses his family goodbye, and then he does something incredible. He, he slaughters the oxen, and he tears apart the plows to make a fire, and he cooks the oxen and serves it to all the people. And this would have been a feast like none other back then. 
right? This is more food than they would serve at weddings. This was more food than, than most of those people would probably get for a long time. But they have this giant celebration, this big send-off, and Elisha cooks the meal over his yoke. And that's important for us to understand. In, in their commentary, Patterson and Austell, they, they write this. The meat was cooked over Elisha's own plowing equipment. Thus, he had burned his past behind him. For Elisha, at this point, there's no going back. He's been invited to be a part of what God is doing. He's accepted that call, and he's burnt any possibility of going back to where he came from. In, in fact, it's, it's actually very similar to what we see when Jesus calls his disciples in Matthew 4 which we have here. In Matthew 4, verse 18, you get this calling of of the disciples where Jesus, it says uh, in verse 18, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw Two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, and they were in a boat with their father, preparing their nets, and Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And and so one of the things we need to understand when it comes to how do we follow Jesus in these times of transition, but really at all, is we need to burn our yokes. You see, these sound like incredible callings. We have this great prophetic calling for Elisha. We have these incredible callings for for the disciples. And and Dale Ralph Davis, he, he writes this. In one sense, Elisha's call is not all that unusual, for it simply depicts what God is always entitled to do, command our obedience, and what we are always obligated to acknowledge that he has the right to do so. See, what Davis is is picking up on here is that the call to Elisha, the call of Jesus to the disciples, is really not all that different from the call that each of us have here in this room to follow Christ and leave everything behind. Now, that's complicated, and we need to look into what does that actually mean. It's important for us to understand here that when it comes to burning our plows, I think this means something very specific to you and I. See, we're not called to be prophets. We don't need to burn our plow and slaughter our oxen and move forward. But there are things in our lives that when we start to follow Jesus, we do need to eliminate from our lives. There are things that we have in, 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 in our daily routines and our thoughts and, and everything that we need to get rid of. We need to burn those thoughts and move forward, right? There is, is sinful thoughts, sinful behaviors, sinful patterns that are holding us back from God, holding us back from experiencing who he truly is. And we need to to ruthlessly eliminate those things from our lives. We are called to to burn our plows and move forward. We're not called to hold on to a safety net of my life before that I can go back to if I feel like things are getting rough. And I find it interesting when it comes to, to sin, and you see this in the story of Exodus with the Israelites as they leave Egypt is as people, we often go back to the same sin over and over again, and we often go back when things are tough, when things are difficult. We go back to those things that gave us momentary 
momentary pleasure, but brought chaos and destruction to our lives. Right? Think about the Israelites as they leave Egypt. They get to the, the Red Sea. They've just seen 10 miracles. They get to the Red Sea, and they say, oh, we, we were better off where we just came from. This is hard. Let's go back. Right? And here, Elisha eliminates that possibility of going back. He burns that plow. He's not going back to work another field. There's no going back. And we as people have things in our life, whether it's coming out of of a a mindset that is completely different from that which we see in Scripture. Maybe we're coming from from homes and, and places where we viewed all of the world differently. We viewed God differently. We viewed ourselves differently. We're coming out of places where we need to align our thinking with what Scripture tells us. And we need to leave behind the way we viewed the world before. Maybe we need to leave behind our, our self-centeredness and that, the idea of that this world, my life, is all for me to get the most out of it. And we need to come on board and, and come into this place where Elisha says, listen, it's not about me and my comfort and what I have. It's about serving the Lord and being a part of his plan. And I'm not going back to where I was. For some of us, there, there's other things that we need to get rid of. Things that have been holding us back from experiencing God's love and grace and forgiveness. And I thought about this as I was preparing for this week. I thought about coming up with a list of all these things. But I realized, you know, you know what it is that's been holding you back. You know what sin has been in your life that's kept you from experiencing God and trusting him fully. And what we see here is that God's asking us to burn it and not look back. But I want to make one distinction here. This is where I think we're actually different than Elisha. You see, burning our plow and following God doesn't mean that we have to be in ministry. It doesn't mean that the only place we can serve God is by leaving behind our old job and and coming into a new job. And especially for those of you who are in university and moving on into finding what you're going to do with the rest of your life, I actually don't think burning the plow means I need to go into ministry and I can't do anything else. In fact, for a lot of us in this room, I think what it means to burn our plow is to actually just, we need to start using our plow for what God has us to do. Maybe it's, I'm I'm not going to give up my work that I have before, but now I'm going to approach my work in a new way, where I'm going to seek every day to go into my workplace and be a a light for what God is. I'm going to try to to love people and bring peace and order to a place where, where there's no peace and order. I'm going to try to use the resources that God has given me, and rather than glorify myself, I'm going to seek to glorify God. I'm going to use the space where God has put me, maybe surrounded by unbelievers, and I'm going to share the gospel with them. Right? In one way, burning our plow means we're moving forward and we're not looking back. But it also means I'm going to take what I have and I'm going to use it to bless God and glorify him and praise his name wherever I am. And so if we want to follow God, that's what we need to do. And it's important for us to understand we're focusing on Elijah and Elisha because that's the transition. But if you were here last week when Jesse was preaching, you would know that it's not just Elisha who Elijah is going to. Elijah is also going to anoint a new king over Israel. And interesting, he's going to anoint a new Gentile king in another place. God is using a prophet. He's using a king in their country. He's using a king in a Gentile country. And there's 7,000 other people who have not bent their knee to Baal. And those 7,000 other people are a part of God's plan. And when it comes to God's plan, there's no others. 
they're not less significant. They're not less important. They are playing a part in what God is doing. And so for us here today, whatever we do, the most important thing is that we follow God and we seek to be a part of the work that he's doing, that he's called us to, knowing that he's going to do incredible things through wherever he places us, and we get to be a part of his redeeming work. We burn our plows behind, we leave them, and we follow God with all that he's given us, with all that we are. And that's the calling that Elisha gets. When Elijah comes up, throws this fur coat on him, and walks away, Elisha understood that this was God bringing him into the plan, and he gave up everything to be a part of it. It didn't make his life easier. It didn't make him safer. In fact, it made things more dangerous for him. But what Elisha understood was, it's better to be with God, to burn my, uh, burn my plow, cook my oxen, and move forward than it is to be anywhere else in the world. And so as we're looking for what God has for us next, we got to understand that we've been invited to be a part of what God is doing. We, like the disciples, have been invited to be a disciple of Christ. We've been invited to become more like him. And so we leave our past behind and go forward in a way where everything is about glorifying God and being a part of the work that he's doing. And then the next thing we see as we jump forward into to 2 Kings chapter 2 is if we're going through these changes, if we're going through this transition and we're trying to follow God, we want to burn our past behind us and move forward, then what we have to do is we have to see God's plan. That's the second thing we see here in this story of the transition from Elijah to Elisha is we must see God's plan. You see, it finally comes to be the day when Elisha is going to be taken away. Where Elisha is going to be taken away and Elisha is going to take over. And it doesn't really say this in the, 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 the text up front. But what you can do is if you go and look at the, the journey of Elijah and Elisha and you compare it to the kings that you see in Chronicles, this is probably 18 years later. Right? This is not a quick transition Elisha has left behind his life of luxury and become a servant for a prophet for 18 years, and it's finally the day where things are going to change. In, in chapter 2, verse 1, we see, uh, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. So they're, they're journeying, they're in Gilgal, and then Elijah and Elisha know that today's the day. Today's the day everything changes. Today's the day where God's making this big move. They're aware of what's happening. And what, what goes on is Elijah goes on this farewell journey. He goes to all of these schools of prophets that he's been a part of, that he's worked with. Um, Donald J. Wiseman says it like this. Elijah took his young student on a farewell visit to the groups of prophets at Bethel, Jericho, and Gilgal by Jordan. And as I was reading that, I, I couldn't help think through, um, I am a big sports fan. I know I'm often known for musical theater, um, but I am a big sports fan. And a number of years ago, there's a guy named Mariano Rivera, who's one of the greatest closers in baseball history. 
and he announced at the start of a season that he was going to retire. This would be his last season playing for the New York Yankees, and this was huge. He was loved by everyone. His, his talent was respected by everyone. He, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. He was an incredible player, and he had, he had this, this music. He'd come in to, to pitch the end of a game. If, if the Yankees had a small lead, if it was close, he'd come in and pitch, and he'd just shut down the game. And when he would come in, they would play Enter Sandman by Metallica because he'd put the batters to sleep. It was this huge thing. Everybody knew it. And so it came to be the end of his career. And this wasn't something just the Yankees celebrated. It was every team in baseball celebrated the great career of this guy, Rivera. And as he went to cities to play games against the other team, they would call him forward because it was their last time having him in their city as a baseball player, and they would give him gifts. And in fact, he got this chair, which this is my favorite thing he got. He got this chair. It's a rocking chair because he was old and retiring, so they were kind of making fun of him. But it's made out of baseball bats that his pitches broke. It was like the sign of respect of you have ruined us this many times Here's our gift to you. And as he went through that last season, place after place after place would just honor him and say goodbye to him. And that's what Elijah does here as it's his last day. He goes to these different schools of prophets to, to say goodbye, to say farewell, to encourage them, to, to give them one last word, to let them say goodbye to him before he's taken away. And, and as they're going, you would notice that Elijah will tell Elisha where he's going. And he says, stay, right? So they're at Gilgal. And he says to uh, Elisha, he says, stay here because God's calling me to Bethel. And he says, just stay here. I will go on without you. But here's where you see Elisha so in on this plan. He's given up everything to follow God that what he says to Elijah is, is this, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. And so he follows him to Bethel. This week we've been at camp and I've been working with the, the junior highs mostly doing the, the volunteer program with them. And I've had one student who I won't name, who keep, it's actually the one beside you, but I wasn't going to name her, um, who keeps saying to me, every time she wants to convince me she hasn't done something wrong or she wants me to believe her, she keeps saying to me, I swear on your life. <laughs> and she said it so many times that John, who's been working with me this, this uh, summer with the youth, has said, I'm a little worried something's going to happen to you soon. <laughs> uh, I said to her, at some point, I'd like to be the one who's not on the line for some of these statements. But her point was this. Listen, I'm telling you the truth. I, I, I promise. I'm not, I'm not lying to you. And Elisha does something very similar here where he says, look, as as surely as you're alive and as the Lord is alive, Elijah, I'm not going anywhere, right? I'm not leaving you. I'm in on this. I left everything behind. I'm following God and there's no turning back for me. And so he goes. And, and when he gets there, they get to Bethel. The, the, the prophets at Bethel, they go over to Elisha. We don't get told what happens between Elijah and the prophets, but we know they go over to Elisha and they, they say to Elisha, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? 
Do you understand that you're losing the one you've been following for 18 years today? Do you know that today is the day you have to say goodbye? And Elisha does what any responsible man would do. He says, yes, now shut up about it. Right? Be quiet. There's something happening here. Don't worry about it. Let's, let's move forward. And so they have this time in Bethel. And then Elijah says to Elisha, stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. Elisha says the same thing. Surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho together. The, the tour continues. They, they keep going. And it says that the company of prophets at Jericho, they go up to Elisha and they say, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, so be quiet. Right? There's this element of, of there are all of these emotions, and I don't know if you've ever had this, when, when, when you're going through a lot of, of change, when you're going through a lot of turmoil in your life, and people come and, and they try to remind you of it as if you've forgotten, and part of you is just like, I, I get it, I'm, I'm working on it. I think there's an element of that here for Elisha. Right? I know what's happening. I'm a part of this. God has told me what's happening, and I'm dealing with it. I get it. And I think the other part here is Elisha's very careful, and this is important for us to understand. Elisha's very careful to keep the focus on God. Let's not focus on Elijah and what's going to happen to him. Let's not focus on the transition and, and the role that I'm going to get. Let's focus on the fact that God is doing something here, and God is still at work. And then Elijah finds Elisha again and says, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives, I don't know why he's a prophet, I don't know why he doesn't get it, but as surely as the Lord uh, lives and as you live, I will not leave you. And so they go to the Jordan. And it says from there, 50 of the prophets, they come out and they come out to watch from a distance. They're watching Elijah. They're watching Elisha as they continue walking. And, and they're there witnessing what's happening, but from far away. And it says they get to the Jordan. They get to the river and they stop. And Elijah, he takes off his cloak, this, this cloak that he's put on Elisha before. He takes it off, he rolls it up, and he just smacks the water, right? I don't know if you've ever been to like a pool party with junior highs or high school students, and they take the pool noodle and they just start slapping it on the water to be annoying. Um, that's almost what Elijah does here, right? He rolls it up and he just slaps the water, makes a big noise, but then the waters part. And I think it's significant here, and we're in this moment of transition in Israel. We're going from Elijah to Elisha, and we're at the Jordan. Which everybody who was reading this text when it was written would understand, there's actually been another great transition here before. It's the Jordan where Joshua parted the waters and crossed over when he took over from Moses. Here in, in the Jordan, we have this place where, where God does amazing things, where these transitions happen. We go from Moses to Joshua, which is even more significant because the name Joshua and the name, are, and the name Elisha are incredibly similar. Joshua, the Lord saves, right? Yahweh saves. Elisha, God saves. 
And here he is taking over at the Jordan, right? We have Jesus baptized in the Jordan. The Jordan is this thing in in the history of Israel that God has used over and over again to remind them that even in the midst of these transitions, it's God who is still in control. It's God who is still at work, and these transitions are happening as part of God's plan. But here they are at the Jordan, and, and Elijah splits the sea by slapping, or splits the river by slapping it with with this um, cloak. And it's another moment for us to see this. And remember, when Moses would do this back in the day with the staff, it wasn't about the stick. It wasn't about the person, it was God. God parted the waters then, just like God parts the waters now, even though it's just a fur coat. And they cross over to the other side. And when they cross, Elijah looks at Elisha and says, before I go, tell me, what can I do for you? The moments come where, where they're going to say goodbye, where Elijah is going to be taken away. And Elijah says, listen, you have one more, one more request. What can I do for you before I go? And Elisha looks at him and he says, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. And Elijah hears this and he says, You've asked a difficult thing. Yet, if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. What Elijah is saying here is, You've got to watch God at work here. You've got to see this plan happen. You've got to pay attention here. If you want to be a part of what God's doing, if you want to continue on in the work that God is doing, you need to pay, don't close your eyes right now. Pay attention to what God is up to. You want to continue on in this transition? Keep your eyes open and watch what God is doing. And that request, it's a hint at what we're going to see God is up to here in this passage. When we're reading about this, this man being taken up to heaven, we get to see what is going on here because I believe it's in this moment where God actually reveals what he's doing to the Israelites. He reveals his plan that he's had in place for, for a, a, since, since the garden. He reveals what he's going to do. You see, Donald J. Wiseman, in his commentary, he writes this about the ask from Elisha. He says, The request for a double portion was not that he might excel his master, but that he should receive the eldest son's share according to the law. Such a son had the responsibility to carry on the father's name and work. This is less about I want to be twice as good as you and more about I want to carry on after you're gone. You see, in ancient Israel, when a father passed away, the inheritance would be split up and the oldest son would get double whatever all the other sons got. And it was the oldest son's responsibility to carry on that family and the family work and the family name. They were the ones who made sure the work kept going. And so what Elisha is saying here is, I want to continue after you. I want to carry on as if I'm your oldest son. I want to carry on the business that God has given you, the the work that God has done through you. I want to continue it. And it's it's interesting because when you actually read the uh, the the lives of Elijah and Elisha, Elisha actually does do double the amount of miracles that Elijah does. God gives him that. But the most important thing here is, I'm continuing on in the work that God has called you to. 
And so he makes this request. Elijah tells him, look, keep your eyes open. And then it says this, verse 11. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. And Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and he tore it in two. It's here where God reveals his plan for us. You see, the language that's being used here of Elijah is incredibly significant. John H. Walton, he writes this, The idea of going up to heaven at the end of an earthly life, although unremarkable to modern thinking, was certainly not common in ancient Israel. The more characteristic speech was of going down to Sheol, the world of the dead. You see, when you read through the Old Testament, what you'll find is when people die, they go down. Death was this way of of separating from God, bringing an end to something. There was a darkness, a despair that was associated with death. People would die and they would go down. But here with Elijah, he's taken up. He's taken up to be with God. And this is an incredible passage that, that has a lot of significance in, in history. And it's something that I think a lot of people are just drawn to. I remember when I started going to church in, in high school, there were two tattoos that I wanted to get. One was on my arms. I wanted uh, the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. I've given up on those tattoos. The other one that I wanted was I wanted that chariot. I thought it was so cool. The idea of this burning, I came, like, remember, I wore skulls and dragons and stuff. Uh, the idea of these, these horses and chariots that are on fire just taking this guy up into heaven I thought was the coolest thing. And, and then there was a song written by somebody that I really appreciated who was, who was contemplating what happens after I die. And one of the lines in his song was, do I get the gold chariot or do I float through the ceiling? You see, the story of Elijah is significant because it's so different. Whenever I do trivia at youth group or on youth retreats, sometimes I'll do trivia to decide who gets to eat first. My go-to question is, In the Bible, there are two people who don't die. Who are they? Most people can get Elijah because it's so well known. It's just so there. Does anybody here know the other one? Enoch. Enoch. Nice. And both of those guys in the history of Israel have this significant place where people were trying to figure out why them? Where are they now? What are they doing? And we know with Elijah, there's some significance because we have the prophecy in Malachi 4 that talks about how Elijah will come again to announce the, the, the redeemed earth, right? To announce the Messiah, right? But, but Jewish writers would write on and on and on about Elijah. Where is he? What is he doing? And, and it became this, this folklore, right? This idea that Elijah, he's returned to heaven. He didn't die, so he's in heaven with God. And so He's there helping us, right? And there's these stories of, of Elijah coming down and talking with rabbis and settling disputes and then going back to heaven, right? These ideas that, that Elijah is going to come back and, and he's the one, literally, who's going to announce the Messiah when he comes. In fact, during Passover, when, when Jewish people celebrate Passover still to this day, 
they leave an empty chair at their table with an extra glass of wine because at any moment, Elijah might come and visit. And most importantly, he might come and tell them, hey, the Messiah is coming. And so part of the the Seder, part of the Passover story, the celebration that they do is uh, the table is set. Elijah has a cup of wine because you want to be nice. You're hosting Elijah here. You got to give him wine. And the kids will run to the door and they'll open the door and they'll look for Elijah, right? We look for Santa. They're looking for a prophet. It's amazing because they're waiting for him to come back. And all of this is because of that language of he went up. You can't miss that. That's incredibly significant in this passage. He was taken up in the whirlwind. And it's, it's so mind-blowing for people who were reading this. In fact, look at the people who were there. Remember the 50 prophets who were watching from far away. What, what happens next is Elisha, he grabs the cloak that has fallen. And he, he picks it up. And, and he rolls it together and he says, where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And, and he parts the river. And as he's asking the question, the answer is clear. The, the Lord of Elijah is now with Elisha. God is still at work. And now Elisha is the one with the cloak. He's the one with the mantle that signifies that he's the lead prophet. God has made this transition. God is with Elisha in this work. And then he parts the river to show that everything Elijah did, Elisha can now do. Because again, it wasn't about Elijah, it was about God. And so he comes back over, and when he comes over, those 50 prophets who who saw some of what was happening, but but didn't watch as Elijah was, was taken up, they say, well, what if in all of that, the Lord just tossed him? What if he's, he's on a mountain right now? Right? They say, uh, there's 50 able people here. Let them go and look for your master. Perhaps the Lord, the spirit of the Lord has picked him up and set him down on the mountain or in some valley. And Elisha tells them not to go, but they, they keep bothering him like a child in a toy store until he says, yeah, go look. And as I was reading this, I was trying to figure out what are they looking for, right? All of the prophets in the story, every single one, Elijah, Elisha, all of the other ones, they said, today's the day where God takes your master away from you. They all knew. So what are they doing? They're, actually, they're looking for Elijah's body. They're under the assumption right now that Elijah's dead and his body in the whirlwind and everything that was going on has just been tossed onto a mountain somewhere or tossed into the wilderness somewhere. And they want to give him a burial. Elisha is the only one who saw what happened. He's like, don't, you're wasting your time. And then eventually like, well, if you want to be dumb, go be dumb. But they're looking for his body because people die. They don't disappear. They don't get brought into heaven. People die. So where's his body? Where is he? And they go looking and they can't find it. And they come back to Elisha. And he says, I told you so, Right? didn't I tell you not to go? He's not here. See, this is God's plan that he reveals. In this moment when the the chariot is there and the horses and they're on fire, Elisha recognizes that these are the chariots of God, that this is God's glory and his strength and his power that's that's there in front of, of, of Elisha, has separated Elijah from Elisha. 
God's glory has come down. And for all of the history of God's people from, from the garden on to this point, God's glory meant death. A sinner in God's glory meant death. But here, for the first time, God does something unique where he sends this whirlwind and he pulls Elijah up, Elijah up to be with him. This is the plan that God has. Death won't be the final word. Sin won't win. The enemy will be defeated. God's plan is this. I will return my people back to me. I will bring them from life to death. I will bring them from brokenness to fullness. I'm going to redeem my people and my creation. This story ends with my people back in my arms, where they will be with me unhindered. I'm bringing everyone back to myself, and I'll show you that I can do it by taking Elijah right now. And Elijah's brought up, not in the chariot, but in the whirlwind, to be with God in life forever. That's what Elisha couldn't miss. That's the point of what God's doing. And Elisha is leaving from that place with the mantle of the prophet, taking on the work that God's given him, calling the people back to the Lord, the one who saves. One of the things we've talked about throughout this series is this idea of, of Yahweh versus Baal, the real, true, living God versus this fake idol. Do you know what Baal was known as? The rider of the clouds the one who rode the storms. There's no bail in this story, but here's the whirlwind and the chariots of fire in the sky, the lightning and the thunder, and it's the Lord as he's bringing people back to himself. In the midst of changes of life, in, in the midst of transition and figuring out how are we gonna move forward? What's my next step? Where am I meant to be? What God is saying to us is, the reason you can burn your past and follow me is because I'm doing something incredible here. I'm redeeming the world. I'm bringing back my people. I'm conquering death. I'm bringing life. That's what you get to be a part of. That's what's worth leaving everything behind and following me being a part of me redeeming all of my creation and me bringing people back so I can hold them and love them and be with them unhindered again. If you take your eyes off that, if you close your eyes to what God's doing, those transitions and those changes, that confusion and not knowing where I'm going next, those things will destroy you. And you'll go off looking for answers in the wilderness only to come back where God says, I, I told you what I was doing. I told you not to go. Stay here with me. But there's one more thing I want to point to. How does God do this? How is he able to take Elijah, a sinner, up to be with himself? And this is where I think the next part of this is we, we must see Jesus. We have to see Christ. You know, at the beginning, we talked about how we were invited to, to be a disciple, to be like him. But it's, it's here where we see the fullness of what Jesus does for us. You see, when Elisha asks for that inheritance, what Elijah says to him is, if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it's not. And I think Jesus makes the same offer to us. We are broken people, separated from God. 
looking for meaning and value, looking for the next step, looking for why we're here in this place anyway, looking for value and meaning, looking, whether we know it or not, to be restored to our God who's created us to worship him for all of eternity. And we come to Christ. And what Christ says is this. You want your inheritance? You want to be brought into my family. You want to be restored to the God who loves you, who made you. Then see me. See me when I was taken from you. Know what I've done for you. Know that I left my throne in heaven to come down and live a life. A perfect life, but a life that had pain in it. A life that had sorrow in it. A life that had loneliness in it. All things he didn't have to experience if he just stayed where he was. But he came down and experienced those things for us. And he says, see me. See that I became human for you. See me on the cross as I, I, I die. I die a physical death and I die a spiritual death as I cry out to my father. And for the first time in eternity, he doesn't listen. He doesn't respond. See me as I'm taken from you. Know that I died so that I could give you that life that Elijah has. It's through Jesus coming to pay the penalty of sin, to take that death and that separation from God, that Elijah is able to live, that I'm able to live. Because of what Christ has done in paying for the sin of every person who would turn to him and acknowledge him as Lord. He says, see me on the cross and what I've done for you. And he says, see me as I raise from that tomb and I show you that death is not the final word. See me as I rise again in victory over sin and the enemy. See me and follow me in life. If we see Christ, we follow him, we are brought into life just like Elijah. We're, bar- we're brought in to be a part of what God is doing and we're most importantly brought into experience what God is doing as he redeems and he saves and he brings back his people. You see, the Israelites were waiting for Elijah to come back. But those of us this side of the cross understand that the role of Elijah was actually filled just like the role of David was filled by Christ. The role of Elijah was filled by John the Baptist. And, and in Matthew chapter 3, we read this account of, of Jesus' baptism. I'm going to read from verse 11. Matthew chapter 3. Do I have it right? Yes. Okay, Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. He says this. This is John speaking. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning the chaff with unquenchable fire. John, the the prophet, the Elijah, has come to say, Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. I am saying, prepare yourselves for the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he's going to gather his people to himself. Those who trust him, those who recognize him as the Messiah, as the Lord, as the Savior, they will be brought to be with him and everybody else 
won't. And then he says this. Then, 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 we, then we read this in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. This is the Messiah, the child of God who's come to take away our sin, to take on the status of a servant so that we would have his status of the child with whom God's well pleased and be brought into heaven to be with God for all of eternity, not through what we've done, but through what Christ has done alone. And we're going to celebrate that now in communion. I'm going to invite the the band to come up um, as we celebrate communion together. We celebrate what God has done, what God is continuing to do by saving people. We celebrate the fact that God has brought us here in this church to experience his love and his grace and his saving power and to equip us and encourage us as we go bring that to the people that we're around and that we're with. And so as we pass out the the elements today for communion, I want you to remember this story, the story of God showing that he has conquered death and brought us life through what Christ has done for us. And don't take your eyes off of Christ. We're going to pass along the elements, and I want you to take them. And when you're ready, you can take those elements. You take that bread that symbolizes his body that was broken for us, You take that juice that symbolizes blood that was spilled for us so that in his death, we would have life. Whenever you're, I'm not going to come back up and tell you when. So whenever you're ready, you take that. But I do want to encourage you today that if there is uh, a conflict between you and someone here in this room, we're called to do this as a community. And we're called to, to resolve that conflict before we come to God in worship and ask him to resolve the conflict between us. And I want to encourage you here today, if you are not someone who's put your faith and trust in Christ, to let the basket go by you. This is something that we do out of acknowledgement that that we were dead and Christ made us alive. And so if that's not you today, let it go by you. And if you want to talk about that, if you want to take communion later and I'll talk you through that, come and see me. But today as we gather here together and as we worship, let's keep our eyes on Christ and what he's done for us in bringing us life. Let me pray, and then I'll meet with the the people handing out here, and we'll pass along and worship together. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you that you have conquered sin, that you've conquered death, that you've conquered the enemy. We thank you that you've invited us to be with you in life for all of eternity if we would just turn to you, confess our sins, and follow you, knowing that you have saved us by what you have done and not what we have done. And we pray that you would encourage us and give us strength and wisdom as we leave from here to proclaim your name, to call your people back to you and share your gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.